Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. Today is truly a special day on Conversations with Warrior Women. Whenever I have an interview with a legend, I have to pause. I have to think about when I first started this podcast. I was turning 50 years old. I had no idea what a podcast was, where to find them. I had no clue about the tech and the behind the scenes work. All these episodes and years later, we are now in the top 1.5% globally. But that's not the amazing part. The amazing part is that I could have easily not done it, not launched a podcast. I had all the excuses. I'm too old. No one wants to hear what I have to say. I have no clue what I'm doing. No one will listen to this. And there are so many podcasts. All these excuses, and yet I still launched the show. Why? Because I had a still small voice inside of me that wanted more, that wanted something new, that wanted to try. And so I did. Now, almost 200 episodes later, the podcast has led to everything changing in my life. It's led to me certifying as a coach and as a rapid transformational therapist. It's led to me launching a coaching and mastermind business. Warrior women, I am here to tell you, all it takes is one decision. You are one decision away from a completely different life. I want to thank you for sharing this podcast because when you do, it keeps us high in the rankings. And I know that you're going to want to share this episode today. Let's get into it. But first, what if you could talk to your future self? What if future you could give you a message? What would you want to know? How would it feel? Well, you're going to find out. Future You is the six-day experience where you get to chat with your future self so that you can gain perspective on what she has to say about the life you're living now and how you can fully step into the mastermind version of you. It's about crafting a fabulous future that's as brilliantly orchestrated as a Taylor Swift concert. It's time to step out of your current frame because let's face it, you can't read the label from inside the bottle. Seize this moment to break free from the familiar and into the future of limitless possibilities. It's kicking off January 16th, and guess what? You're the VIP, and your ticket is free. Grab the link in my bio to join us. Your future self will thank you. Today on the show, a legend, and most certainly a warrior woman. Gloria Allred is the founding partner of Allred, Morocco, and Goldberg, with offices in Los Angeles and New York. Her firm has been the leading women's rights private law firm in the nation for 47 years, winning hundreds of millions of dollars for victims. Ms. Allred has won countless honors for her pioneering legal work on behalf of victims who have been discriminated against because of gender, race, age, sexual orientation, sexual harassment, or because they have AIDS. Her firm is well known for its work on behalf of victims of rape, 
child sexual abuse, and battered women. Ms. Allred has also founded the Women's Equal Rights Legal Defense and Education Fund. She is also the author of Fight Back and Win, My 30-Year Fight Against Injustice and How You Can Win Your Own Battles, as well as the subject of the Netflix hit documentary, Seeing Allred. Okay, and welcome to the show, Miss Allred, or may I please say Gloria. <laughs> please do. It's one of the nicer things I've been called lately, so I'm always happy to be called Gloria, so go for it. And who knew that you had a, you have a theme song, Glory Gloria, you know, by Laura Branigan. After I saw your documentary, I was like, oh my gosh, she has a song. I had no idea. <laughs> and you know what's amazing, Elizabeth, is... I love that song, and we used to use it on the radio show that I hosted for 14 years on KBC Radio. And I I found out that Laura Branigan actually was born on the same day. Birthday is the same. What a coincidence. Unfortunately, she's no longer alive, but she had the same birthday, which I didn't know until actually just a few years ago. That is wild. She actually was grew up in the neighboring town. Mm -hmm. My parents live in Greenwich, Connecticut, but her town is like over the border, right? Like very close. So, wow. to so we always, wow. she was like a local celebrity. This is such an honor. It really, really is. I approached you stealthily at a brunch <laughs> with your friends and, I, and they were like, go ahead, honey, ask her. It's so you. funny. <laughs> and I asked you if you would come on and you graciously did. So thank you so much. It is my honor and privilege to have you here. So thank you so much. Thank you. Well, you know, I always like an assertive woman, and so it was hard to say no to an assertive woman. Amen to that. Amen. There goes Elizabeth. You have a new middle name, assertive woman. I love it. All right. So let's start at the beginning because I am so curious. I've done my research, and I know kind of a little bit about your growing up, but I don't know this. In your growing up, were there any clues? Were there, were there, was there anything in your childhood that, that would give me reason to know that you would become the woman you are today? That's a hard question because I didn't know that I would become the woman that I am today. It's so interesting though, because for example, when I was in high school, a nickname that one of my teachers had for me was Jean d'Arc, Joan of Arc. <laughs> but I think at that point, it wasn't because I was cause oriented or anything like Joan of Arc, but I did have a haircut at the time that was very popular. I think it was Gene Seberg was playing Joan of Arc in a film at that time. So she called me Jean d'Arc. What can I tell you? And then I had that haircut for many years, but also I attended an all girls high school. And that's where we were told that we were going to be the future leaders. And as I said in my book, Fight Back and Win, I, I didn't think she could possibly be talking about me because I came from a little row house in Philadelphia. My parents only had an eighth grade education. They didn't know anybody and nobody knew them. And, you know, my mother was full-time homemaker and my father was a door-to-door -door salesman who earned just enough money for the food for that day and save a little bit for me to go to college. And so I, I just, it just stuck out in my mind that she said, yes, you girls are going to be the leaders. I guess she knew more about us than, than we knew ourselves, but 
That was girls high, all girls, all academic, all public high school in Philadelphia. That's incredible. Well, she obviously knew she was calling you up. She was calling you up, the crusader, Joan, Joan of Arc, calling you up into who you were. It was pretty radical in those days, Elizabeth, because she was saying things like, the counselor was saying things like, now you girls, you get married and guys say, send me to medical school, send me to uh, veterinary school, to whatever, to be go to school, to be an accountant. Uh, you just look at your husband, you say, no, you send me. And we, that was, we just looked around like somebody was going to arrest her because nobody (laughs) in those days back in the cave age talk like that. The idea that women would say that to their husband and think of themselves as the ones who should be put first to go to school. It was like, wow, this was really very radical at the time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I watched I watched the documentary Seeing All Red and I, first of all, I can't believe I hadn't seen it before. I, I, I really was, when I was doing my research, I popped up and I was like, what is this? And it was so good. If you have not seen this documentary, you have to go see it. It's on Netflix. It's incredible. But you had me from the first word. I hadn't even seen your face in this documentary. You had me on the first sentence. You said, and I quote, there's a war on women. It's real and it can be very ugly. So I want to know, Gloria, are we winning the war? I want to know what you're seeing. You're out there for us. Tell me how it's going. One of the producers of my film, and I give them all credit for doing a great job on producing Seeing All Red, which is the name of the film documentary, still streaming on Netflix. But she said to me, you know, I never understood what at the time what you meant by there's a war on women. I had no idea what you were talking about. Then, of course, a few years later, I completely understood it. (laughs) So, yes, a war on women. Well, let's actually, that's a good point. Let's talk about that. When you say that, yeah, and that when I say that, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, it means that, for example, it's a war on our bodies. And if we can't control our bodies, then we really can't control much in life because that's i have to say yesterday i went to the dentist and he was talking about well you know it's your body your teeth so you can you know decide what you want to do here and when he said it's your body i said you know that's thank you for saying that because i'm not used to hearing that these days There are so many men in this country that think, no, it's not my body. And they can make my body whatever they want. They can make laws on my body that restrict me from having any choices about it. Absolutely. You know, forcing women into mandatory motherhood, what I call fetal supremacy, that somehow a fertilized egg should have more rights than a woman in whose body is that fertilized egg and this whole concept of some stranger some man in some distant legislature in some other state or as proposed you know by trump and many other right-wing republicans extremists maga 
Republicans, that somehow there should be a national ban on a woman's right to choose legal, safe, affordable, available abortions. So that is what I mean by the war on women. But of course, there's also a movement against passing the Equal Rights Amendment to the United States Constitution, that women, you know, that uh, the United States and, and every state should not be able to discriminate on account of sex is really just the concept behind the ERA movement against that. So absolutely, there's a war on women. And as we sit here and talk, Elizabeth, you know, there are women, poor women, young women, rural women, women of color who are living in states, and that's about almost half the states in the United States now have a restriction on abortion or not allowing legal abortion at all. Some are trying to go after birth control. Some are trying to go after the morning after pill. There are court cases. There are, you know, different legislative efforts. That's the bad news. Okay, let's pepper that with some good news. As Please give me some uh, before I just... Yes, we see now, now that the United States Supreme Court, the majority, returned the decision as to whether a woman will be afforded legal and safe and available abortion in her state to the states as you know the republicans wanted them to do this comes under the heading of be careful what you wish for they got it and now there are very serious political battles in many states and pro-choice democrats are winning battles in red states, in other words, ones previously Republican, sometimes currently Republican, and they're winning battles to change the law in their state so that women do have options to have legal and safe and available affordable abortions. And that means that some Democratic Republic, Democratic governors are being elected even in red states. It means that sometimes there are Democratic pro-choice legislators being elected in the state legislatures in those states. And it is a very serious political issue. So, but the bottom line is this, I have always said nobody ever gives women any rights. Nobody ever today has given or gives women any rights. I It just gets me very disturbed when I hear people say, and in 1920, women were given the right to vote. Wrong. Nobody ever gave us the right to vote. We've had to fight to win every right that we have. And then we have to fight to preserve the rights that we have fought to win. And then we have to elect pro-choice, women or pro-choice men to make sure that we preserve those rights and they're not eroded. And there is so much we still need to do. It is a responsibility because we won the right to vote in 1920 after 72 years of fighting to win it. And we are now winning in some of the states to have pro-choice options. 
Because the idea, again, that the women who are most vulnerable to these anti-choice laws, and I don't call the other side pro-life, I call them anti-choice, that's what they are, mandatory motherhood, that's the result. Young women, pregnant women, 12-year-olds, women who are 17, 16, rape, rape victims, women of color, you know, the rural women, the poor women, that really don't have the options to fly to another country or to California, you know, to what we call sanctuary states like New York and California or some other state where they can get an abortion. They don't have the money for the bus fare to take the bus. Exactly. And a lot. And so we really have to stand up for these women who are being so exploited. And this is a life changing decision if you are forced to carry a pregnancy to term. So I spoke out about the abortion that I had to have, which was not legal for a doctor to provide to me or any licensed health professional in the 60s after I was raped on a date in Mexico, came back to California. And it was a crime in California that, to provide an abortion to a woman. Yeah. So I was bled to death from and, you know, someone did it for money. And then he said, we don't take care of you afterwards. You, you just have to deal with it. And I did have to deal with it because I had like 105 fever and hemorrhaging. And anyway, they in those days, they took us into the hospital, but only if we were bleeding to death, not to do the abortion. Right. And so there was a whole ward of us. And so I know what it's like when laws restrict young women and poor women and they have to go to people they don't know who have no training on this it is horrendous and i feel really strongly about it and i'm glad the public in many states is you know they're feeling their power women are saying we're not going to take this anymore we're mad as hell and we're going to do something about it yeah and so you know it's it's what mother jones always said and I always tell people don't don't agonize organize and that's what they're doing and now some of them not only are getting involved in political activism for the first time Elizabeth but some of them have decided after that now that they begin to run for office which is great I love that I love that yeah. you know you brought that up I wanted to talk to you about that because I can imagine that having been assaulted having been a victim of sexual violence you have such i mean i don't know a lot of people knew that i did not know that until i you know read your book until i saw it on the documentary i was like oh gosh you know and that really made me understand you in such a different way because when you have been a victim of something like that that makes me see how you're treating the victims in mm -hmm. such a different way it really made me look back at all the times i'd seen you at a press conference and you would just be standing there and just like with their hand on your back and you're just letting them talk. And mm -hmm. it really just made me think. So I wanted to know from you, how do you, like what, how did that experience inform the way you do handle victims and the way you encourage them? Well, I think it's really important to, you know, to try to understand what happened to them on an emotional level, as well as a, a legal level. And, you know, it's 
we do a lot of civil rape cases and sometimes represent victims in as their victim's rights attorney in a criminal case as well. But we do a lot of civil rape, a lot of confidential settlements without a lawsuit, sometimes with a lawsuit. And I do think it helps that I have been, you know, a victim myself. I like to say that part of my job is I like to take people from being a victim to up to the next level, which I call being a survivor, up to the highest level, which I call a fighter for change. So that's the empowerment process. I'm all about helping them to win as much justice as is possible. And to do that, we need to help them to become empowered women. Because I also always say courage is contagious. So when they find that they actually do have more courage to win justice, and they have more strength to do that than they ever realized they had. It's just a beautiful thing. And it is contagious. When they win a measure of justice, it's they then become role models for their children, often for their daughters, for their co-workers, for their community. All things are possible when they become empowered. But we need to help them to learn how to do it. And, and it's to see, you can see the difference in the way they carry themselves in their voice. And it's just a beautiful thing. And, and winning justice, you know, I I mean, of course, if they've been raped, I always suggest therapy as well. So I'm not a therapist, I'm a lawyer. But I also think empowerment is great therapy for them winning justice it's like wow these they are literally transformed and it it's very good for them for their health for you know for everything in their life they get to start a new chapter yeah and they can be proud of themselves and i think that's really important because women often when they will you know, accept guilt that some men try to put on them for things they're not responsible for. It's the, the bad person who did it to them should be responsible. And then they don't take credit for the good things that they've done. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, sometimes there's a man at work that takes the credit for what they did, the woman did. And they just let it happen, the women, because we have a culture where it's still normalized, you know, for women to take the blame and let the men take the credit. And, and we're, you know, I'm committed to turning that around too, but I'm all about justice. And because I have had the life experiences that many women still do, and some I've never talked about, never will, but those really helped me, you know, on sexual harassment, you know, I haven't been spared. I do a lot of sexual harassment cases, I understand. You know, the power differential in the workplace still women, a lot of women are in the workplace, but they're not necessarily at the top. You know, they don't necessarily get the pay, the title and the responsibility. And then there's this sexual harassment, which, of course, is a barrier to the enjoyment of, you know, equal treatment at work because if she says yes to the sexual harassment her boss may get tired of her and fire her 
And if she says no, then he may go into ego shock because she wouldn't go along with it. So I understand, you know, they need the money and that terrible position they're put in. We do a lot of those cases and we can win justice for many of them. Yeah. And justice can mean a lot. It doesn't have to be a lawsuit. It could be a confidential settlement. Yeah. And we do a lot of those because they want to be sure that their next job is not going to be affected by this. Yeah. So, you know, all I can say is women today, so many more know that they have rights and they're willing to exercise their rights. And, the, you know, the, they're being courageous. Yeah. And that because the Elizabeth fear has been the weapon that has kept women as second class citizens deprived of fair pay, you know, deprived of their rights in so many ways. And, you know, when when we help to release them from the fear and let them know how they can do this yeah. in a way that the benefits outweigh the risk, you know, again, they're transformed and they're able to be able to seek justice. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting. You know, you're, you're a lot more than a lawyer. <laughs> you're a, you're a transformer. And, and, and that's, it's fascinating to me because as a coach, one of the things I try to help women do is master the art of reframing, right? That you are not oh. the victim, actually. This is your story and you get to rewrite it anytime you want. You can believe what you want to believe about it. You know, not that you're not going to grieve and be upset and, and feel the feelings, but that it's your story to tell and your story mm -hmm. to write. And you, that's your story and you can do whatever you want with it. And I love that you're giving that to these women. That's, that's incredible because that is the transformation, right? To, to, it's one thing to say, I'm going to try to get your money. I'm going to try to get you vindicated. I'm going to try to get justice for you. It's a whole other thing to give a woman her actual life back, to actually re, to flip the script, rewrite the story and say, okay, now you have your life back. Now you can lead your family again. Now you can be a mother again. Now you can maybe get married again. You know, feel like your life is back. Well, that's very true. But also accountability, I mean, you mentioned money. In the civil justice system, it is about money, whether it's a lawsuit or a confidential settlement. However, money equals accountability in many cases. When we get the wrongdoer, the sexual predator, the sexual harasser, the one who committed acts of child sexual abuse, when we get them to pay, literally pay for the wrong that they inflicted on our clients. It's a measure of justice. It's accountability that the victim earned. She fought for, she earned it, she won it. And it's, you know, it is a change in the narrative because for many of them, they didn't think they could ever get him to be accountable. And again, they, they were in fear, so they didn't do anything. Once we unlock that fear and show them how to do it in a way that makes sense legally yep. and that they won't have to fear if they do it this way, it is a change in their narrative. And they learn something, which is they have options. Yep. They have options they never knew they had and they can help. And it's a teaching moment for the predator for the rapist, for the sexual harasser. And the teaching moment is, 
you know, don't underestimate a woman because she will, she will come after you. And, and, and actually in the end, they end up having to respect that the person they thought they could take advantage of. They thought was vulnerable. She would never do anything. She'd be afraid. So they just kind of threw her out the window like a used, used Coke can from a car speeding down the highway. And now it's like, what? Yep. She got Gloria Allred. <laughs> she actually wants me to be accountable here. And then after they peel themselves off the walls, like I make the call to their attorney, you know, then, then the fun begins. They sing in a different, yeah, sing in a different tune by then. Yeah, because they never thought of their victim as a person who would know to do that. Yeah. Or even if they knew, who would not be in fear of doing that. Yeah. You know, so it's all good. I love it. Well, one thing you are truly adept at is handling the media. And that is something incredible. And I've always, again, this is until I watched this documentary, I'd never understood how adept you are because you're not just using the media to kind of give publicity. But what I saw in that, and I want to kind of let you explain this, the way you use media in your cases is sometimes not in the way that people are thinking or what they're seeing, right? Like when we're just seeing, we're thinking, oh, she's getting publicity for this case or she's, you know, letting us know. In the case of Bill Cosby, you are very adept at using the media. And I wanted to kind of have you speak on that, like how you were using the media to your advantage in that case or in the cases of all of those women. Well, it's important for everyone to understand that unless the public sees certain wrongs, not every wrong, but certain wrongs, women will never have any rights. So that's, and it's important for women to have a voice. If strategically it makes sense for them to do so and will help to accomplish a goal. So I would say 99% of all of the many cases we do in our law firm, all Red Rock and Goldberg, are completely confidential. And I start every call with people who would like me to represent them. I had many of them today already before your show, explaining to people who are calling me for legal advice, this is going to be a confidential conversation. Whether or not we can help you, it's never going anywhere because that's our legal duty. Yes. And we take that duty seriously. But strategically, when we do it, got to fit certain parameters and what are we trying to accomplish in the case of Bill Cosby and thank you for mentioning that was very important part of the film and that happened about I don't know a month or two after I agreed to do the documentary it took me two years to decide and none of us knew that that was going to happen uh, and suddenly it happened and uh, many women were contacting me and alleging you know, that they had, that Bill Cosby had victimized them. Yeah. And it was too late under the current law for them to do anything about it because of something called the statute of limitations, which is the arbitrary time period set by law in which victims have to file a claim or a lawsuit or a police report, or if they don't do it within that time period, then they lose the right to do it, essentially. Yeah. And of course, almost none of my victims 
had ever heard of the statute of limitation, didn't know, and felt, oh my God, now, you know, I, I'm contacting you, I want to do something about it, but I can't now because you're telling me about this. Well, there is no statute of limitations in the court of public opinion, exactly. which means they could speak out. Of course, there's a risk if any victim or alleged victim speaks out publicly, they could be sued and often celebrities will do that or threaten to do that. And so it's a risk, but they all wanted to do it. Uh, that came to me. So we started doing it and more and more and more and it just countless ones I ended up representing. And then ultimately, you know, there were two criminal trials in Pennsylvania. I attended both of them. Some of my clients became Me Too witnesses in both trials. And then I did the only civil trial that's taken place so far. Just a couple of years ago in Santa Monica, I represented Judy Huth, who alleged that she was 16 years old when she became the victim of child sexual abuse by Bill Cosby at the Playboy Mansion in Southern California. And we tried that case. We had Me Too witnesses. We won that case. We had won a jury verdict. So my client was very happy. We were very happy. And many, many women who alleged they were victims of Bill Cosby throughout the country were very happy. That finally, especially because the criminal conviction had been set aside for a, a technical reason, which I, by the way, I don't agree with. Uh, but in any event, it was. And so we won. And that was just such an exciting time for so many people. Yes. And so what I'm saying is it was important, but I'm, I'm not using it for my purpose, as you say, and it's not publicity. Publicity is for a Hollywood movie. This is real life. It's not publicity. This is coverage of an important issue. Yeah. Coverage of the fact that there are people in power who take advantage of people who are not in power. Yeah. Most of the people who are in power, have, they're called men. And the most of the people who are taken advantage of and become victimized are called women. Now, we've also represented male victims of sexual assault, uh, of sexual harassment. So, you know, we don't discriminate, but I'm just saying, and it's not only celebrities who are people who are in power. I've rep you know, we have gone against people in the entertainment world, the political world, yeah. the sports world, the business world, the religious world, yeah. you name it, we've gone against them. Yeah. And all kinds of different sports. We're doing it every day. Famous people. So you know some of the names, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, and some of the names you've not heard because they're confidential settlements. There's a lawsuit right now. It's not been in the news, but it's against a famous person and we filed it. And we're not talking about it right now, but, it, you know, we're litigating it. So all I can say is, I'm so proud of my clients. I'm so proud of women who have courage, who are fighting back. And, you know, yes, we're doing it one by one. Yes. Sometimes we represent large groups of women, by the you way. Bill Cosby, you had 30, 33, 33? Yeah, yeah, but they weren't all in the lawsuit. Okay, uh, so, but I've represented and still I'm representing groups of women and groups of victims in lawsuits. So uh, on various things, I have a big 
child sexual abuse case going on in North Carolina. It's not just in California, where we also have groups in the lawsuits. So we're doing them in other states as well, because I also am licensed to practice in New York and California, Washington, D.C., and I also co-counsel in many other states. So it is exciting to see how women are becoming empowered. And after that, they're never going to be unempowered again. This is the way they're going to be for the rest of their life. That doesn't mean they're going to fight every battle, but they're going to know that they can be strategic and decide which battles to fight. And some of them can be won. Yes. Some of them they never thought. And that is great for our daughters and our granddaughters and our aunts and our mothers and everybody. And, you know, there are men that are cheering us on. I have partners who are men. I also have partners who are women in my law firm. You know, we each have a duty to make it a better world in the way that we can. You're doing your part, Elizabeth. And everybody does it in their own way. There's no right way. There's only, there's not just one way. There are many ways. And so that's, that's what we're seeing. And then, of course, we need to make sure that women are in the White House one day. We're long overdue we for that. It was going our way. We thought it was going our way. And then it Okay, didn't. well, and we need to, <laughs> well, we, again, we have to fight to win it. Yeah. And we have to, you know, win a, a woman governor of the state of California, which we haven't had, and so many other yeah. First and but not last. Yes. So it, we've come a long way, but we still have a long, long way to go. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Well, when you look back on your incredible life, I really want to know what are you most proud of personally and what are you most proud of professionally? I am most proud of professionally. Hard to separate them, by the way, because I'm working every day, all day, holidays, weekends, nights. There is no day where I'm not. But I would say professionally, I'm just proud of all my clients and the courage they have. And I'm very appreciative of the confidence that they invest in me and the trust, which is I, I, I seek to earn every day in every case, in every way. Personally, I just feel very blessed to be able to do this with my life. And it is a blessing in a million years when I was, you know, sitting there on the the steps or some people call them the stoops in Philadelphia, the steps outside of my house and looking at a brick wall and wondering if I would ever, you know, be able to see something other than a brick wall of my life, you know, to be able to give back and help to repair the world can't do everything, but that doesn't mean I should do nothing. I should do whatever I can, whenever I can, however I can. I do feel it's a duty and not just a choice to help as many people as I can to help win justice. Because I, as I learned in college, Elizabeth, if you have the opportunity to help someone and you have the ability and you have the desire, it's the only moral choice you can make. I have the ability, I have the desire, and, and, and I'm going to do it, and I have done it, and I'm just feeling very, very blessed. I have a daughter who's an attorney. I have a granddaughter who's an attorney. You have a I granddaughter have a, who's an attorney, too? I also have a grandson 
who was just graduated from law school, University of Pennsylvania Law oh School. Oh my gosh, what a, legacy. Gave, what a legacy. And I was very fortunate to be asked by University of Pennsylvania Law School to give the commencement address at his graduation, which I did just a couple of months ago, and present him with his diploma. And so, and now there's so many more women attorneys than when I started out, we were just a very small percent. And now there's so many more, and I'm just thrilled to see that. But of course, we still have a long way to go. And, you know, the, you know, extremists say to me, well, Gloria, look how far you've come and women have come. And I do say to them, yeah, but look how far we have to go. It's not enough. We still don't have, we still don't enjoy equality in every aspect of life. So, and women still need to become empowered. I mean, I literally get calls from people all over the world. Okay. Yesterday, I went to Zoom with someone in, I'll just say, an Asian country who contacted me. And we were trying to figure out, okay, what's the number for Zoom in that country? <laughs> so, you know, it, that's okay because some of them have been taken advantage of by, you know, Americans. So, uh, men, so they want to know what they can do about it. You know, it's, it's exciting. And if we keep doing our part, keep living our values and encouraging women to seek justice, that's, that's the way we change the world. Yeah. So I love that. And you're changing the world in your part. And so I, I urge everybody to follow Elizabeth's example and be assertive when you think it's appropriate. Okay. In other words, it may not always be appropriate. So you have to think about it and decide, is this the time? But as someone said to me, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So Elizabeth asked, and then I have to tell you, I was pretty hard to get a hold of. I mean, I kept no and putting it off and all of that because they really am busy with cases. And frankly, there's so many people with podcasts and so many people ask me to do podcasts that I do have to say no to most of them or because my first priority is helping my clients, yes. taking care of them. Yes. So, but she was persistent. She wouldn't give up. And finally, I said to myself, this woman needs to be rewarded for her perseverance and not getting upset, not saying something nasty. Oh, you can't, you know, whatever the nasty thing, because I wouldn't do it. And she just kept her cool. And you know what? Persistence should be rewarded, especially in a woman. So follow her example is all I'm saying. (laughs) She is a warrior woman in her own right. I'm not the only warrior woman on this podcast. Yeah, well, I believe women, you know what? I believe all women are warriors. Maybe we're not born warriors, but we become them over mm-hmm. the course of our lives and all the things we go through. So I'm always trying to get women to tap back in to the fact that they are warriors, that they're that they're stronger than they think, that they can do anything. They have cho- power, they have choice, right? And they can reframe anything. So when I- like, Well, yeah, I, may I just say very quickly to kind of piggyback onto what you just said, sure. if you don't mind, I love the expression. It's not original to me, so I won't claim a- pride of authorship or anything, but I love it. And I heard it one day and it's this, that the women's movement is unique. 
among other movements because it's the only movement in which the participants become more radical as they get older. And I think that's very true. As women get older, like they're not going to be stuck in the stereotype anymore. It's like they're going to say and do what they want to say and do. And nobody's going to stop them. I always think of like walking through a, you know, nursing home, an old age home, retirement home. And I remember like women with their canes going <laughs> like this. Gloria, I don't care what these men call you. You stand up, you keep fighting. Always stand up, keep fighting for us. You know what I mean? So they know. They know what they went through in their life. Okay. And they know that we have to fight for respect, for dignity, for rights, and for justice. That's why the women's, you know, because we grow up with fairy tales about how's it going to be. And in the 20s, we may, you know, we may buy into that. But always the women's movement is about what if Prince Charming never comes? What if Prince Charming comes and leaves? What if Prince Charming comes and turns into a frog? Or what if Princess Charming never <laughs> comes? So that's all I can say is onward and upward. Yeah. We have so much more to do to fight against this war on women. And I know if all of us join in it, yes, to join the fight, we will win. Yes, and this is not a passive situation. So do you think that's your legacy? That's my final question for you. Do you think that's your legacy? That you are uh, engaging a bunch of warrior women in the fight, that, you, that the more people that you come into contact with, the more people you work with, the more people who kind of come into your circle, join the fight with you because you're so passionate you just you you inspire them to join it what do you think your legacy is i don't know I, as far as i know i'm still alive and i haven't passed away so i don't know <laughs> what the well, what, I don't know what, the, be? what do you think it will be and i always say you know i'm gonna fight to the end and then if there's a way to fight if i'm six feet under continue the battle i'm going to do it but i i don't know i just you know i see injustice and if my client wants to fight for against it, and if I am the right person to help them have the expertise and can make the commitment of time and all of that. And if we can help, we will help, can't help everybody, but we'd like to help them to have at least access to justice to learn where else they could go if we can't help them. So my legacy, I hope that I've inspired some people to know that they can be more than perhaps they ever gave themselves credit for, that they can be more courageous and they can fight back and win. So I hope that's it. I don't know. Other people will decide that. It won't be me. I think, I think, I think you've already carved out a legacy. The secret to a really good legacy, Gloria, is that you start building your legacy before you're gone, before the end of your life, and you've been building a legacy <laughs> since you were in your 20s and 30s. So you've got a long legacy of fighting and of justice, and I just can't thank you enough for coming oh, on well, this podcast today. Thank you, thank you. <laughs>